Pints with Jack, Season 2, Episode 25. Prince Caspian. (laughs) Friends, welcome to the Pints with Jack weekly podcast, where David and I have the distinct privilege of enjoying a drink together, unpacking the writings of C.S. Lewis, and discovering the truth and beauty of Christianity. We've finished reading The Great Divorce, which means that Season 2 is drawing to a close. What a sad day it is today. (laughs) But it does mean that it's now time to do another book in the Chronicles of Narnia. Because if you recall, a while back, a listener, Patience, suggested that Matt's C.S. Lewis credentials should be temporarily suspended until he had read (laughs) all of the Chronicles of Narnia. So what we're doing is each season, at the end of each one, we'll read another book and we will slowly make Matt a better man. (laughs) The problem with that, though, is this is one of the longest, well, no, this is the longest suspension I've ever experienced in my life because it's taken (laughs) us two years or a year and a half and we've only read two of the books. I've got about three to four more years before I get my license back. Yes, but think of it as heavenly and hellish creatures. You're, You're on a good trajectory. Each season, you'll read another book. You become a little bit more heavenly. (laughs) This is no longer about discovering the truth and beauty of Christianity. (laughs) This is about Matt getting his license back. Well, I think I see the two as being related. All right. So what we're doing here is tracking along with the Lamp Post Listener podcast. Uh, If you're not subscribed, you should be. Uh, They go through the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter. And this season, they've been going through Prince Caspian. So that's what we're going to now do here also, but much more briefly. And speaking of online Narnia celebrities, uh, I wanted to wish congratulations to Rillian from NarniaWeb, who will soon be expecting the birth of his second child. Anyway, the quote of the week naturally comes from Prince Caspian, and it comes from towards the end of the book, where Prince Caspian is talking with Aslan. Welcome, Prince, said Aslan. Do you feel yourself sufficient to take up the kingship of Narnia? I, I don't think I do, sir, said Caspian. I'm only a kid. Good, said Aslan. If you had felt yourself sufficient, it would have been proof that you were not. That jumped out to me too when I read it. I love that line. And I like how you emphasized good. (laughs) I always get a little worried when uh, people push themselves too readily into positions of power. They need to be suitably scared. And it is interesting. You see that here in, obviously, Lewis directly uh, references that. But you see that in movies a lot too even secular movies where people recognize it's the character that doesn't want the power that actually is the most fitting for it. Probably the best other example is Frodo Baggins yes. in The Lord of the Rings. He doesn't want to take the ring, but he knows that he has to. And it's because he's that kind of a person that Sauron and Saruman have no idea what's going on. I'm halfway through the Two Towers, so that means I'm essentially halfway through the, the, the trilogy. Oh, look at you becoming a better person. Well done. Well done. It's been fun to read. And for me, for the drink of the week, if you listen to the last episode that I recorded with Marie, you'll know that I'll be drinking Vat 69, which was Lewis's favorite scotch. Oh, I'm jealous. Today, I am going to be drinking a hydrogen, two hydrogens bonded with an oxygen uh, (laughs) inside of a silicon cup engraved with the Wicked logo on it. So water in a Wicked cup. Okay. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, you'll be able to try this VAT69 at the end of the year when we go to the conference because I will be bringing a bottle with me. Oh, yes. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. You know what? Just so refreshing. 
There's just this coolness on the back of your tongue. Actually, though, if in fairness for the listeners, partly for doing this is it is about 100 and something degrees outside in New York. It's a heat wave. So I was making a joke of it, but the water is somewhat intentional because I'm feeling dehydrated these last couple of days. It's been rough, and I'm still exercising, too. Uh, well, there's your mistake. Exercising. <laughs> you, not healthy. you sound like my grandmother. She says that all the time. <laughs> She's allergic to exercising. Uh. Okay, so let's talk about Prince Caspian. This was published a year after The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it was dedicated to the daughter of one of his friends, who was also his doctor. And it's often voted as one of people's least favorite in the Chronicles of Narnia. So before we even get into the text, Matt, how does it rank for you? What, what did you think about reading this after reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked that question because I didn't like it. <laughs> that might be a little strong, <laughs> but I didn't. it wasn't jumping out to me near as much as The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so as I'm going through it, I'm thinking to myself, all right, this is, first of all, a lot of development. We're lying to Witch and Wardrobe, if you remember, one of my comments was it jumps through stuff fast. We're all sudden, it's like point after point, location, location. You're at the end. Stuff's happening. They all have this Christian theme to it. This just felt like when they got there, there's just this huge development. I'm not really sure what's going on. You got two big backstories, and then they all come together at once really quickly. Mm-hmm. But I will say when I then took a step back and thought of for this, like four or five of the major themes, I realized, you know what? There was a subtle beauty in this. It's almost as if this was the Narnia version of Till We Have Faces, where once you really think about the subtlety of some of the messages and themes in there, it was actually much more beautiful than I, my first pass, I guess, gave it credit for. Mm. It's definitely a different kind of pace, and it's a very different kind of sequel. I thought it'd be a good idea to uh, read a little bit of what Lewis wrote about the Chronicles and this one in particular. He said, The whole Narnian story is about Christ. That is to say, I asked myself, supposing that there really was a world like Narnia, and supposing it had, like our world, gone wrong, and supposing Christ wanted to go into that world and save it, as he did in ours, what might have happened? The stories are my answers. So if you recall, when we talked about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we said this was another imaginative supposal. It's like a what if. Lewis goes on and says, Since Narnia is a world of talking beasts, I thought he would become a talking beast there, as he became a man here. I pictured him becoming a lion there, because a lion is supposed to be the king of beasts. Christ is called the Lion of Judah in the Bible. And I've been having strange dreams about lions, which began when writing the work. The whole series works out like this. The line, the witch, and the wardrobe is the crucifixion and resurrection. And Prince Caspian is the restoration of the true religion after corruption. Hmm. So that's Lewis's, that's Lewis's main commentary on this. He says the book is about the restoration of the true religion after a corruption. And I also have to point out what Dr. Michael Ward wrote about this, because I've actually just finished Planet Narnia. He's an amazing writer, but it was a little hard going at times. But his theory is that the Chronicles of Narnia, the seven books, are styled after the seven heavens, the seven planets in the medieval cosmos. So, for example, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was about Jupiter, and this one, Prince Caspian, is about Mars. And that affects the motifs. It, it affects the lexicon and the imagery that Lewis is using. If it, if it were music, it would, it would be the key signature. Because, Matt, what was Mars the god of? Not a clue. 
And I'm, just, I'm still not sure how all this connects yet. Well, Mars was the god of war. Oh. And so you actually see the themes of war all the way throughout this book. Of war, rebellion, knights, chivalry. So is he making this connection or is Lewis doing it? Just out of curiosity. He is saying that when Lewis is writing these books, he was theming them by one of the seven heavens. So he does believe it's like intentional on Lewis's part. Mm-hmm. Yes. I see. Okay. And so the other thing that Mars was associated with was trees, because hmm. he was originally a vegetation deity. And you'll find all the way throughout this story, it's all about bringing the trees back to life. Well, that makes sense. Seems to be quite fitting. Yeah, I'm not going to go too much more detail on this. At some point in the future, I'd love to get Dr. Ward onto the show so he can present his theory. But I will say I think I'm pretty much sold on it at this point. Here's the part, though, when you're, you're reading Lewis's words on it, which I really liked. Actually, I love the way he described how he created it. But I would have thought when he says Caspian is restoration of the true religion after corruption, that seemed to be very present in the line in the witch war just as much. So corruption of the white witch, restoration. Like, it's interesting how he thought that that was more particular to Prince Caspian. Well, I think you still have Narnia in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but it's a twisted Narnia. In Prince Caspian, I'd say it's a more a suppressed Narnia. All of the animals are in hiding, whereas in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the animals are there. It's just that the evil ones are on top. Okay, I see that. That does make sense. So let's begin with a quick recap of where we got to in the story. In the last book, the four Pevensey children traveled into a magical world of Narnia through a wardrobe. And there they met Aslan the lion, who brought about the defeat of the White Witch by offering himself in sacrifice in place of Edmund. And then they ruled as kings and queens of Narnia for about 15 years before they returned to our world, uh, where they returned to the very same moment that they entered that wardrobe, as well as returning to their respective ages. And so this book kicks off with them on a railway station. They're on the cusp of going back to school. And I love how Lewis does this. Because do you remember what it feels like on the last day of the holidays before you know you're going to have to go back to school? Ugh, miserable. It's the worst. And while <laughs> I thought on... you were going to say for a second... Uh... It was just, it's lovely. You're so excited to, to get back to school work and see your friends. Oh, Because no. remember, you once said you were, you were bribed by reading Lewis books to go to sleep. And I was thinking, all right, if that works, and he's probably excited to get back to school. No, I hated school so very, very much. I could see that actually knowing your personality. You're being told what to do <laughs> and what to learn. Yeah, just give me some books and leave me alone. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and I want to ask you, what did you think of the characters of the children this time? So Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Did you see any changes in their characters? Did you like any of them more than you did before? Yeah, I liked Edmund a lot more. Yeah. And not, not just the obvious way that he's nicer, but he, he it just it seems as if he really actually learned Mm -hmm. that there was a true transformation that was lasting. It wasn't as if he was just like, Oh, I'm sorry. And now I'm submissively scared and I feel bad. And he, he just genuinely was trusting and in in his relationship with Lucy and how he defended her. It was just, I really liked him. Yeah. Did you find Susan annoying at all? Yes. I really can't stand her in this book. (laughs) Just going to say that I was going to say, Susan, I don't even have great examples as I was reading this, but I just remember thinking, I don't really like her as much. <laughs> yes, in the in the movie, they make her nicer and they have to have a little bit of a, a romance between her and Caspian because 
because she's older since they filmed the first one. But yeah, no, she's kind of annoying. Peter's fine. He's mostly the same, I'd say. And Lucy's just a gem. Yeah, she's just delightful. A little bit more grown up, but that's it. Hope my daughter is like Lucy someday. <laughs> As in, finds a magical world and goes there and becomes queen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how, how else? <laughs> and then we move into chapter two and they realize that they're in the ruins of Care Paravel because they've been pulled into this strange land, they don't recognize it, and they progressively start working out what's happened. And so I'm, I had this read to me as a child, so I have no idea how long it took me to work it out. Did you work out what had happened? Well, when you say what had happened, what do you mean? The, the fact that they were back in Narnia, that they were back in Care Paravel, and the fact that 1,300 years had passed since they were last there. No, no. So obviously I knew they are back in Narnia for getting pulled in, but I had no idea Care Paravel. And I didn't know it until they knew it, until Edmund was saying, or it was Edmund or Peter, creating the connections. Isn't this this? Isn't this this? And he, he presents his theory, and then it made sense. And then I didn't know the 1,300 years until, well, again, they made it seem... Until a high schooler worked it out for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, with that one, in fact, I did know that was a long time. One, just because you could tell when they started realizing there's a castle, is very different, and there's your mind just quickly goes well last time they were in really briefly or they were in really long and it was brief outside of time so most likely it's been a long time had passed Mm -hmm. and they work all of this out by seeing the similarities with care paravel and in particular when they find that chess piece Uh, do you remember the chess piece that they found it was a knight so there's another little example of martian imagery because there you have a knight chivalry war oh yeah and then they go down to the treasure room, they get the presents that they had from Father Christmas. And another really interesting question to ask when you're reading this book is, how much of their life in Narnia do they remember? But are they starting to become these kings and queens again? That was the first, call it theological, topic or point that I was wrestling with in real time as I'm reading this. I was wondering what Lewis was trying to communicate with that. Is this a starting from scratch theosis? Is this a building on previous? Is this... Mm-hmm. Well, and actually, the other one I was going to say is, is that you lost your old theosis? Like, can you can you gain it and then fall away and now you're redoing it? Like, I was, that's what I was asking in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a question of uh, whether or not they can swim the channel off the island. Because Lucy says that she's not a great swimmer now, but when there were kings and queens in Narnia, she could swim very well. Yes, it's in at some point it say it said they were maybe like two thirds of their strength. I thought I remember reading that something about two thirds. I don't remember that particular line, but yes, there's definitely an idea that Narnia starts to work on them fairly quickly as they start becoming those kings and queens again. Their sense of adventure is reignited, their their boldness and even their skills, as we'll get to in a couple of chapters. Well, what did you, real quick, the, what did you think the answer of that was? Of those, those I gave you the real-time questions, but what were you making of it? Uh, I think they're rapidly recovering what they had gained from their time in Narnia. It's almost like when you come back to a skill that you say you used to do a lot as a kid. Or for me, playing an old video game is a really great example. My friend Nathan, he found his old Super Nintendo, and so we gathered around and we played Street Fighter 2. I haven't played that game in 20 years. But those moves, the special powers, they're all so well ingrained in me that I just suddenly found myself doing them, even really without thinking. Or I suppose my French, for example, used to be much, much better. 
And when I'm in an environment where lots of people are speaking French, it'll take a little while, but it will then start coming back in leaps and bounds. So then would you say connecting this to a real life, like you and me in our own spiritual journeys, let's say I'm newly converted to Christianity and over the next year or two, I'm going through this deep theosis, spiritual transformation. Would you say there's periods of your life where maybe there's less evil or spiritual battle you're fighting and therefore some of those tools become rusty and then and maybe a few years later a new battle comes up a new suffering maybe you have a, a, a you're a parent and you have a child that's turning away from god and it's a big struggle and you're having a hard time and now you have to like redevelop these things or like how do you think that connects our real life though yeah i think there's definitely a very dynamic play going on in there um, even if I just look at, say, my own personal devotions, I'll go through periods of time when I just really love reading scripture first thing in the morning. And that really, really speaks to me. And then I'll go through busy times in life when I'll start not making that a priority. And eventually I'll realize what's happening and somebody will give me a kick at the butt and I'll get back to doing it again. So I, I think there's definitely a dynamic back and forth in Screwtape Letters, he talks about the law of undulation. I'd say the, a similar kind of idea. I don't think it's a, a simple a simple journey forward sometimes. I like that. I think that's a great analogy. Sometimes you get that kick in the butt. It's like, it's not that they made a mistake or anything, that they've fallen away, but this is like a kick in the butt almost, and they're, they're going back down it. And sometimes you can rediscover things that you thought you had forgotten. It was definitely true in my own journey when I started realizing that I actually knew much more about the faith than I had realized. It had been more by a process of osmosis rather than direct teaching. Anyway. Um, no, I, no, that was really good. I think that was, that's, I wanted to hit that home. I was curious your thoughts as we were going through that. So I appreciate that. So, so things now start to really move with them rescuing a, a dwarf called Trumpkin. And I have to ask you, uh, Trumpkin, throughout the book, he has these alliterated exclamations like uh, beards and bedsteads, horns and halibuts, bulbs and bolsters. Did you have a particular favorite? No, but as you say Trumpkin and you do these alliterations and these things, all I think of is Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. And It's not often you see Trump in anything. (laughs) This is true. He's the greatest of all dwarves, the best of all dwarves. Everybody loves him. Everybody agrees. Uh, (laughs) I think my personal favorite was Giants and Junipers. And I'm going to try and use it more in everyday speech. No, and actually, I hate to say this. This is this is something I've been working on as being more present with everything I do, including reading. And none of those jumped out to me. I didn't even know that was a thing he did until you just captured it all. I just, I guess, read a little bit too quickly. I'm jumping ahead with my eyes and never really took in that the finer things. But I kind of like that tubs and tortoise shells. Clever. Well, okay. In that case, I'm just going to read you all of them. Wraiths and I'm wreckage. reading them right now in your notes. <laughs> Wraiths and wreckage, beards and bedsteads, horns and halibuts, bulbs and bolsters, whistles and whirligigs, soup and celery, th- uh, thumbles? That's probably thimbles. Thimbles and thunderstorms, lobsters and lollipops, giants and junipers, tubs and tortoiseshells, bottles and battledores, bilge and beanstalks, cobbles and kettle drums, weights and water bottles, crows and crockery. That's just clever. Like, what's the point of those? I mean, Lewis just wanted to make him a fun character. I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you caught those because I didn't. Well, then we have a nonlinear break. And I think this is one of the things that some people really like about Prince Caspian and some people really don't. Because we now leave the Pevensies for quite some time because Trumpkin tells his own story. He basically, we have a flashback to explain why he's there and what has happened. 
did you did you like this break yeah i'd say i didn't like it as much that's actually probably one of the parts i felt like it was these two simultaneous stories that were taking a really long time to develop and then once they came together it didn't last long together Mm -hmm. well you're gonna experience something very similar in the lord of the rings then so it'll be interesting to see how you find that (laughs) because when the fellowship is broken you end up with these different storylines and in the movies, they cut between them regularly, but in the book, Tolkien doesn't. So I'll be very interested to know how, how you enjoy the, the rest of The Two Towers and Return of the King. I will say this, which a lot of listeners aren't going to like me and some of our friends in San Diego. It's okay. They don't already. <laughs> I'm it's, it's regularly ag- agreed that I'm the favorite. <laughs> a Twitter poll already solved this. <laughs> I, I'm reading The Lord of the Rings. I'm enjoying it, and I'm glad, but I am not getting immersed in it. Huh. Like I'm, I don't, I don't, I haven't found myself ever losing two or three hours reading it like I have other books. Interesting. Yeah, maybe that's because I've seen the movies, and so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering. I've never read a book like this where I've seen the full movie, I know the ending, and therefore it's not as if I'm reading this to figure out what's happening next. And actually, the movies did a wonderful job following the book, so I feel like I really know what's coming next every time. Well, I can actually tell you that the ending is a little different in the book. Ah, uh, uh, are you just trying to be a friend and tease me there, or is this true? No, uh, no Scout's on her. It's a, little, it's a little different. It's not quite the okay, same. Okay, you might just help me out here. <laughs> Remember, I'm the questioner. I need the why, and I'm just not finding the why in this, because I already know the ending, and it's just not getting me going. Okay. Well, through Trumpkin's story, we find out about Prince Caspian. Both of his parents are dead, and he's looked after by his uncle and aunt, and they don't seem especially close. His nurse tells him about stories of Narnia in the old days, all these fantastical creatures and Aslan the lion. And when he mentions this to his uncle, his uncle then dismisses his nurse and has some very pejorative things to say about such fairy tales. And doesn't this remind you of Lewis when he says as an atheist, you can't be too careful of what book you read? <laughs> if, this, if, if these were really just true fairy tales, you wouldn't have to worry about them being presented to your children. I mean, they're easy to combat. There's nothing to them. But because there is truth and there's, they, they are convincing, he has to just dismiss the person because he just can't risk it. And I'd also say that Miraz's description of the stories of the Chronicles of Narnia they're not dissimilar from the description of Christianity by the more militant atheists. Just fairy tales. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. He says, just fairy tales. We hear all like, oh, it's childlike. It's for babies. It's for babies. We've gotten smarter. I remember uh, I was on a date, actually, here in New York City with someone who was Christian, but not Christian. She was raised it, but more an atheist. And just said, she literally said, I didn't really know there was really well-read or intellectual Christians. I found it was just people who didn't have a sense of agency. Hush. I know, right? And so I then spent the rest of that date convincing <laughs> her that that was not the case. <laughs> oh. Switched into a different mode. That's exactly right. Defensive gone, mode, gone, I'll show you. Gone from date mat to defensive the, mat. Yeah, well, you know, the worst part, she went to Harvard, and so I was like, oh, now I really got to step it up here. I do think it is really interesting comparing Miraz's, I suppose you'd call it secularism, in comparison to the theism of old Narnia. Uh, and I think you can, you can mine that for a lot of spiritual lessons of how we can fall away, how we can forget uh, our stories, how we can explain them away. And also just how evil must always be fought. I, I realized something as I was 
brushing my teeth yesterday morning. Uh, in the conversation between Prince Caspian and Miraz, we're told that they can hear Beaver's Dam. It's, I think they said it's about a mile away. And that would place it in the same area as the White Witch's Castle. So I wondered, is Miraz's castle built on the ruins of the White Witch's house? Because it would be very, very fitting to show that evil will come back. Might not always be the same, but don't think that just because you've beaten it once, it'll be forever gone. And in this case, it's, it's almost worse because, at least under the White Witch, you could still see good Narnia. Here it looks like it's been completely wiped out. It looks like we're all of the gains we made in the previous book are gone. It's sort of like doing Episode 7 in Star Wars. It's like, wait, what happened to the victory? We were about to win, and now we're suddenly back where we started? That is brilliant because that makes me think of Chesterton. Evil is not always the same, but the one thing I would add to that is it tends to rhyme. And if you think of what Chesterton, when he talks about the theology and what its role is in our life, Lewis even talked about this with the map, uh, comparing it, but he got it from Chesterton. It prevents us from going down roads that as much as we think today an atheist comes up with some new reason not to believe in God, guess what? This has been brought up in the last 2,000 years 10 dozen times. And probably we've already more. Gone, <laughs> probably more. And we've already gone down that road, and it leads to a dead end. And so theology is just stopping you from making that mistake again. And I think that's something similar to your saying of the White Witch was here, now Miraz is here. It's, it's a little bit different shape and form, but it's still the same concept. And it's still trying to lure you away from truth. And it doesn't lead to the happiness you think it's going to. And I do think that would be really fitting if that was the exact same location or very similar. And it shows you that winning a battle, even a great battle, doesn't necessarily mean that the war is over. Yes. Now, unfortunately for Miraz, dismissing the nurse kind of backfires because he then gets Caspian a tutor. And so here we see the hand of Providence because this tutor also loves the old Narnian stories. Knock, knock and you shall find. Seek and whatever that goes. You know, Prince Guy. Yeah, I remember knock, I never. I, <laughs> knock and the door will be answered. Seek and you will find. There we go. I'm always close. It's actually around the other way. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be answered. The, earlier in the beginning of this episode, David brought up one of the grandchildren of the Inklings. And I was like, oh, Owen Branson. And he's like, what was, what was his name? Barfield? Yeah, there you go. Owen Barfield. And I'm like, see, I'm always close. Close. So close. <laughs> but the reason I brought up that knock and the door will be open is this is just a good example of how if you're really, truly seeking truth in life, you'll eventually find it. You might be like Chesterton. It takes 20 years to get there. But God and Jesus will absolutely not let you not find it if you're genuinely with your heart open seeking it. Mm. He brought a new tutor in his life because Caspian wanted to know. And this tutor also happens to be an old Narnian himself. He's half man, half dwarf. That was cool. Yeah. And, and I do love the question that Caspian asks him, because he wants to know, are there any others? And he says that he spent you know, his life looking for them. And he says, sometimes at night in the woods, I thought I caught a glimpse of fawns and satyrs dancing a long way off. But when I came to the place, there was never anything there. I have often despaired, but something always happens to start me hoping again. Mm, hope exactly I, you immediately went back to that chapter in mere christianity entitled hope mm. where lewis lays this out and and the when the desires of our heart point to something that this world can't satisfy that shows us that we are made for another world mm. that's so beautiful and i just think of there's always something happened in small 
because it never fully quenched it, but it was something enough to keep him going. I love how Christ in our own journeys, there's always just something that keeps us going when we're in those tough times. And you're in a desert, and sometimes it's just a small amount of shade. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give you a full-on oasis. It's a small amount of shade, but it's enough to keep you going. Or in the Lord of the Rings, ooh, ooh. In the Lord of the Rings, it's a little elven bread when you need it. Yes, a little, little bit of lampus. That's what it's called. See, I'm always close. <laughs> yes, it's called Lembus bread. <laughs> and then the plot gets pushed forward again because the queen has a baby. Dr. Cornelius comes and wakes up Caspian, tells him he's got to get out of there because his uncle will now try and kill him because Miraz had actually killed his father, which is very intense to hear. Caspian's just a young teenage boy at this point. And there are really echoes from literature and history. This is very much like King Claudius in Hamlet. The uncle is the, is the king, and he's usurped the power. Uh, and also you've got people like Richard III or Oliver Cromwell, who use the same title that Miraz uses, Lord Protector. <laughs> but he's basically de facto king. Or, actually, you probably haven't got to this yet, Matt. It's like Denethor, who's the steward of Gondor in Lord of the Rings. Aragorn is the true king. But Denethor basically acts like he's the king, even though he hides behind the title of Lord Protector. Oh, there we go. So Caspian flees uh, on his war horse. Another Mars theme going on there. Uh, But he gets knocked off the horse by the trees. Again, another Mars theme. And he's mostly saved by three Narnians. It's Truffle the Badger, Nickabrick, who's a black dwarf, and Trumpkin, who's a red dwarf. What did you think of these people, and how would you describe them? It's a good question. I don't pay attention to names as much, so <laughs> I don't remember which ones were which. <laughs> okay, well, Truffle Hunter was the badger, and he's very faithful. He's always the one that says, we beasts, we remember. And he's the one who keeps saying that they can't just kill Caspian. Was Nickabrick the one that was later on when... Um, they're outside the door in the yeah. King Peter. Okay, well, yeah, I don't like him. Nickabrick is, is he's, he's a bit of a bad guy. Uh, he wants but, the Wicked Witch. Well, I would actually back. say he's utilitarian. For him, the only thing that matters is power. And he even says at one point, he says, Yes. I'll be for anyone or anything, just as long as they go and take on the Telmarines and drive them out of Narnia. Anyone or anything, Aslan or the White Witch. Do you understand? Yes, because he said the White Witch. She had it for a hundred winters. She, now that's power. Exactly. And, and, and Lewis also gives us a little bit of a nod that he's not a great guy because a little bit later when all of the dwarves have got their pipes out and they're smoking, we find out that Nickabrick is not a smoker. Oh my goodness, only yeah. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> there is also that very funny bit where Nickabrick proclaims his doubt in the existence of Aslan. Uh, it's kind of strange when you have magical creatures not believing in the lion. And Prince Caspian points out that, well, back where I'm from, people don't think people like you exist. So if ever I doubted Aslan before, I don't now. That's a great response. I think it also points to the idea that as soon as you open the door to spiritualism or, or the spiritual world, you can't immediately close it on anything else. If you've had a spiritual experience... If you believe that there are immaterial realities, then you have to almost inevitably open yourself up to the idea that there is a God, a creator behind all of these things which sustains them. 
you can't be quite so quick to believe in, I don't know, say angels and then scoff at the idea of there being a God. Yeah, that's that's really popular today to say I'm spiritual and not religious. And spiritual, like you said, how do you believe that and that there's not a God? And the reason they don't want to go to God is actually because of the power thing. You have to submit and surrender your will, and people don't want to do that. With spiritualism, as we've talked about this in mere Christianity, you don't need to do that. It's mm-hmm. like I can have this idea of the mercy and the spirituality side and the love and stuff, but I don't have the justice or the other side of the equation, the obedience. We just don't like that our generation doesn't. I don't think any generations really liked it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) To be fair, I'm not that keen on it either. Um, (laughs) And then the last person was Trumpkin. He's the Red Dwarf. And I would describe him as the honest atheist. Um, He's definitely heroic. He's practical. He's noble. He's obedient. He is a skeptic. He is unsure about a lot of things. He doubts a lot of things. But he is open to being proved wrong. I don't remember his character as much. <laughs> You're highly disappointed right now. <laughs> Very disappointed. This is, again, it's the same thing that I was talking about, that it's just sometimes I've, I'm having a harder time getting absorbed into books lately. I've been distracted with work, and it's actually consciously something I've been focusing on and realizing I need to improve being more present right now. So I was reading for, like, the big themes and stuff and not catching the little character developments. Well, like Truffle Hunter, I promise to badger you far more. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, David. You know my favorite animal whenever they say, who's your spirit animal? I love the honey badger. (laughs) Because the honey badger don't care. He don't care. He don't care. (laughs) He don't care. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That was so good. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Okay. And uh, yeah, so Caspian meets them and they actually very quickly accept him to be their new king. And it's, uh, that's very Arthurian because I remember growing up in England and there, it was always said that King Arthur would return one day when England was in greatest need. And you've even got the, the same sort of ideas in the history of England with, say, like the Jacobite uprisings after William of Orange took control of the country from James II. But anyway, they agree and they're going to go and introduce Caspian to all of the others. And in that next chapter, we get to meet the bulgy bears, Patatwig, the squirrel, the seven brothers of Shuddering Wood, where they all get new weapons. They meet the five black dwarfs. And there's a really interesting bit here where they comment that there's an ogre and a hag a little bit further beyond them, and should we bring them in as well? And Truffle Hunter says, no, 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 we don't want any of their kind. We wouldn't be a friend of Aslan if we did. Hmm. And bring it back to this idea of restoring the new religion or the, the theism, so to speak, of the old Narnia. Caspian has discovered that there are angels, but he's horrified to discover that that also means that there are demons. I think that's got to be what it is. And then they meet Glenstorm the centaur and his three sons. And that's when it's very, it becomes very clear that they're going to go to war again. Mars theme. And then the best one of all, by the way. Reaper Cheap. Absolutely my favorite. Uh-huh. That now, when you, if you would ask me about that one, I just loved during the battle scene, which you'll get to later, 
runs around with a sword and they this they're, they're just stabbing the feet and if they fell they'd get them themselves and if they didn't they would die anyway and they'd be hopping on one leg and the whole time it made me think of no matter how great or small your spiritual gifts are you play a role in the battle of good and evil whether you're getting the assist or you're making the shot it doesn't matter and so the others didn't jump out to me reaper cheap did reaper cheap is probably my favorite Narnian character uh, because he plays the, the medieval knight, the chivalrous knight. And also, I was quite a diminutive child, so I really liked the idea of something being small and deadly. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Uh, and it's also here that we find out that the trees and the wells, the, the spirits that are behind them, the dryads and the naiads, that they fell asleep when the Telmarines came and conquered Narnia. And that they would really love to be able to wake them, but they just don't seem to have the power to be able to do it. Uh, and that's a hint for what's, what's going to happen later. Uh, but then they have a, a fawn party uh, dancing around the fire. That seems all very cool. Uh, and then Dr. Cornelius arrives and warns them that Miraz is on the move. He's got an army and he's looking for them. And so he suggests that they move to Aslan's Howe. And we find out that that's a mound, a structure that was built over the top of the stone table. He offers some reasons for why it would be a good idea to go there. It would be much easier to defend. But I think there's real symbolic strength in what they're doing. I do too. They're restoring the true religion, and it begins by going to the Narnian equivalent of the cross. That is their strong point. That's where they go to. Okay, pause, because this is one of those mind-blowing moments. <laughs> is it correct to say that from a, from a, from a technicality perspective with the Catholic faith, the Mass is going back to the sacrifice. It's not a re-sacrifice, mm -hmm. it's going back. Okay, just want to make sure with that. I found in my own spiritual journey, the we've talked a lot about theosis and the sacraments, the little definition in, in the catechism is passing on that divine life. They actually use that language that Lewis does. And so I found daily mass to be so incredibly powerful in my journey of theosis and transformation happening and this makes sense it's going back to the source it's going back to the crucifixion as much as you can to receive the power that comes from that in your own life and not only that the way aslan's how is described it sounds very reminiscent of the catacombs of rome mm. which is where christians would typically gather uh particularly to remember their dead this is just such a big moment for me right now <laughs> it doesn't seem like it but i've mentioned this on previous podcasts from time to time of the biggest thing lewis taught me with theosis was it's not some sort of formula that i need to figure out of i need to know this theological thing i need to pray this way i need to do this it's i just need to go back to the source the source of it all the crucifixion where jesus died for us and the closer i get to that the more stuff just is going to happen without me doing anything and I don't mean that in a lazy way. I mean that in a humble grace way, not a I did this to earn this. It's like, I just need to go and get close to him. And you know what? Stuff is just going to happen. I love that. And I wonder if Lewis, I know he didn't maybe think of it as explicitly Catholic as I'm stating it because he wasn't from that perspective per se. But Well, it actually could have been the other way around. Because if we're talking about the restoration of the true religion uh, for a diehard Protestant, they would think that was what the Reformation was. And in particular, Luther, in his writings, he places a very great emphasis on the cross mm. because he thought that had been obscured in the life of the Catholic Church. And maybe it did. <laughs> and maybe it did. So I do wonder whether Lewis is thinking of that, that they're going back to Aslan's how, they're going back to the basics. 
they're going back to the stone table where Narnia was once brought alive. Mm, I like it from that way too. Yep, I'll take it. There's, just, there's a lot here. I didn't even catch this during the first round, so I'm glad you brought that up. This is why we have these chats, Matt. This is exactly <laughs> why. I'm starting to like this book a lot more. So the war is going badly, so they decide to blow Queen Susan's horn uh, because Queen Susan had lost it on the day that they went back to our world and Dr. Cornelius had managed to get hold of it and he gave it to Caspian. Uh, personally, I don't know why they waited this long. If I had been in charge of the resistance against Miraz, it's like, step one, we blow the horn, then we do everything else. Well, I can... Okay, so I'm going to answer this from two perspectives. I'm, I have two comments on this. I wouldn't call them answers. The first one is, it was set up in a way where they did say only in the worst case, last resort, use this. But I struggle because I thought the horn was somewhat analogy of just calling on God's grace and mercy in a time of struggle. So to sell, to position it as this is only something you do when it's getting really bad, if you think of it as prayer, I'm going from the beginning <laughs> to the end of my struggle all throughout it. I'm asking for God's grace. Probably he won't help me until the end because he wants me to be fortified and learn something. But I'm going to ask him in the beginning just to take it away right away. <laughs> well, I, I would say I'm different from you. I usually try everything else, and if all of my own attempts fail, it's then I think, well, maybe I should pray. <laughs> well, okay, let me actually, so I'm more speaking, I actually do operate under that framework a lot more too. Priests, <laughs> more often not in confession, tell me I need to be careful of self-sufficiency. Mm -hmm. I was just telling a friend, I've got a big life decision I'll be making here in the next few months. He's like, have you brought it to prayer yet? I'm like, no, I've just been thinking about this constantly myself <laughs> and going through all of the different angles and never once have I said, God, what do you think? Beginning your prayers, listen up, Lord, your servant is speaking. <laughs> You've said that before, but it's just as funny this time. <laughs> Listen, Lord, yeah. your servant is speaking. Yeah, you got to dodge the lightning bolt that comes down to you afterwards. <laughs> but anyway, they blow the horn, and they have this idea that the kings and queens of old might come back, and might come back to an important place in their own history. So they send Patatwig to Lantern Waste, and Trumpkin, even though he doubts the veracity of these claims, he doubts in the existence of Aslan, he doubts in the existence of the kings and queens, he agrees to go to Care Paravel. And then this is what brings our two stories together. These two parallel stories, they now finally come together as one. And I do like this. We see this in the real world when I, this moment is almost like that moment when someone who doesn't believe in God is in such deep suffering, they say, you know what, I'm going to try. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to yield nothing, but I'm going to try. And you know what? God works with that, because that's an opening. Yeah. So I'm looking at the time, and I think it's probably an idea, actually, if we break this into two parts. So, listeners, we'll be back in the next episode when we'll finish the story of Prince Caspian. When we'll be going further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.